Welcome to 10.5, the official podcast of the OPP Association. My name is Scott Mills. And I'm Josh Jutras. We are the Strategic Communications Coordinators for the OPP Association and your host for the 10.5 podcast, the official podcast of the OPP Association. The OPP Association is the sole bargaining agent for the close to 10,000 members of the Ontario Provincial Police in Ontario, Canada. Our members are our focus and our strength, and we aim to provide important information to our members and the public about matters that affect policing in the province of Ontario. Today we welcome OPPA Director Dave Dubay from Kirkland Lake on the topic of the staffing crisis in the OPP. Welcome, Dave. Morning, guys. Dave, thanks for uh, joining us today. And it is a very serious topic that we're going to talk about with staffing here. Our most listened to episodes were the three episodes that we recorded with uh, now retired OPP director, excuse me, OPPA director, uh, Jason Cull on the staffing subject. Uh, Dave, you've taken over as the lead on staffing portfolio here at the OPPA uh, when Jason retired. And you've been working tirelessly ever since on this and it's a really complicated issue so thanks for joining us thanks for the work you're doing and uh if you're ready we'll just jump right in here yeah ready to go when you are uh dave uh is there what you call a staffing crisis quote unquote a staffing crisis in the opp right now yeah to, to say there's a staffing crisis would be an understatement uh i remember back in the day when i first got on the job about 20 years ago uh, there'd be lots of people talking, like the guys that were on the job back in the day. They'd tell me all the time that uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of people retiring in the next 20, like 20 years from now. And uh, if the OPP doesn't get ready for it, then we'll be in a crisis. And that's where we are right now. Dave, talk to me about staffing forms that you've been requesting for the membership for, I mean, we've been asking for these things from years and I hear from some members, what's, you know, what's the point of filling these forms out? Where do the, where do the numbers go? What are the numbers? So can you comment on some of the data we're getting and the importance of that data in making the case for staffing? Yeah, for sure. I know, I know that it's hard for, for members to, to fill out the forms and send them in because they're short and they're running off their feet and everything else. Uh, but I use that information every day to, to go to the employer and, and talk about the shortages we're having out there. I know that when, when we talk about shortages and like a couple of years ago, uh, Jason Cull and I uh, went to the commanders, the regional commanders, and we, we tried to set up like a kind of like a minimum target for each shift and each detachment. So although those those minimum target levels aren't like set in stone or anything but they're just a guideline for each detachment across the province uh, and we we use those that information every day to to gather all the data we can to help fight the crisis that we're in i know that like from january 1st to september 22nd or september 26th we received 336 staffing forms Unfortunately, out of those staffing forms, 45.8% of them registered being 50 below, 50% below target minimums. Our members can't work that short. It's an officer safety issue across the province. Um, even since September, uh, we, I just got the data yesterday, we received 102 forms. 
Yeah, talking with members, I know that a lot of a lot of times our members don't have time to fill out the forms because they're too busy with paperwork and too busy running short. So I, I totally understand that it, it's hard to get the forms in, but it's the only data we have to go to the employer with and fight for, for more people on the road. I know that uh, no one ever should either work alone or should be working at minimum 50% of the staffing target. Dave, uh, we saw the closing of the Smith Falls Communications Center earlier this year. Can you comment on that in terms of uh, staffing? Yeah, our, our communication centers have felt, felt the impacts of the Smith Falls closure. Uh, you know, like a, our, our, we're having double doubling and tripling of consoles. It's it's totally unacceptable. Uh, so some members can't even take proper breaks or proper lunches. It's getting it's getting to be a little far too common. I know that uh, after we had our CCT meeting this week, and uh, they're doubling the classes for call takers and dispatchers. So hopefully that can that can help uh, our members that uh, are working tirelessly and and working uh, several shifts in a row and and you know getting burnt out. Uh, working every, almost every day. Uh, I know that our detachment clerks are, are in some spots are doing the job of two or three uh, DACs and, and our civilian workforce has, has dwindled over the past few years, you know, and everybody's getting burnt out and, and stressed out. So hopefully we can, uh, we can ramp up the, the civilian recruitment as well. Dave, um, about a week and a half ago, we put the bow on the latest edition of Beyond the Badge, and this podcast is going to go out just after most of the membership will receive that. And right on the front cover, it's got a picture of a tidal wave, and it's got a picture of the number 1,921, which is right about the number of members eligible to retire in the next five years. Can you talk to the audience about the impact of the retirement specifically over the next five years and what that's going to do to staffing? Losing 1900, possibly losing 1900 members in the next five years, uh, it's going to be crucial. Um, you know, especially with bill 124, even though back November 29th, the bill was struck down by the Ontario court as being unconstitutional. Uh, the Ford government has decided to appeal that decision and, you know, we, we still got a we've got a long road ahead in, in our negotiations because uh, the bill limits all public servants to a one percent raise for the next three years. It'll be hard to. I, I know that if I was ready for retirement and I could retire in the next three to five years, I would because at our AGM, the Ontario Pension Board told us that the cost of living adjustment would be 6.3%. So I'm going to get a bigger raise being retired than I would work on the road. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> uh, that just blew me away, Dave. But you're right. And, uh, you know, even the Auditor General has been sounding the alarm on staffing within the OPP. And uh, bear with me because this is a bit of a long quote, um, but I think it's very relevant to our discussion on, uh, on a staffing crisis in the OPP. So this is right from the Auditor General uh, report. It says, OPP detachments are increasingly understaffed with frontline officers. 
In 2020, over 1,000 frontline constable positions were vacant, representing 20%, sorry, representing 26% of the total funded frontline constable positions at the OPP. Constables on long-term leave make up 33% of these vacancies. The OPP is providing less proactive policing in the province. In 2020, the OPP provided 28% fewer patrol hours than it did in 2016, from 1.36 million hours to just over 975,000 hours, despite increasing reported incidents of crime and calls for service in recent years. Frontline officer vacancy rates vary considerably between OPP regions and detachments. While the West and East regions had 28% and 27% of these frontline constable positions vacant in 2020, the Northwest region had only 17%. Regions with higher frontline officer vacancies resolve fewer crimes. In 2020, the crime clearance rate was 63.5% at the highest staffed region and 33.7% at the lowest staffed region. The OPP is not delivering service models to municipalities identified in its own deployment model. Specifically, for municipalities where data was available, we found that 111, or 48% of these municipalities, received less than 75% of the constable hours and full-time equivalent staff the OPP identified were needed to respond to calls for service on a timely basis including 26 municipalities that received less than 50% of the needed hours and the full-time equivalents. So Dave, I, I mean, I sit here and that's, that's pretty doom and gloom stuff. And it's easy for me to say, okay, we need to go out and hire a thousand officers right now. And that's kind of what the, you know, what the answer would be, but it's, it's really just not that simple. So what's being done? What is the OPP doing? What are we doing to try and address this? Yeah, like you said, it'd be nice to just go out and hire a thousand people right now, right? Um, the OPP uh, started a service delivery model uh, a few years back, uh, knowing that, uh, you know, we were short already. I know that uh, Jason Cullen and I, and now Mike Adair and I uh, sit on the committee, and uh, the model shows the hiring of approximately 807 uh, frontline members. To assist with our crisis, uh, it's a it's a five to seven year plan. We've always pushed to have it a, a two to three year plan, but you know, like there's still approval that needs to go through the government and, and things like that to get all these people hired. And we've also got uh, only a certain amount of spaces at each class at uh, at OPC, so it's really hard to to fill all those spots all at once. The service delivery model will be uh, looked at every year and uh, from now till uh, all the detachments are up to uh, the 807 members and uh, if there's any changes that need to be done, changes will be, will be done and we've had uh, lots of input on, uh, on the development of the service delivery model. Dave, I, I, I'm going to... I'm not putting you on the spot here, but I want to just highlight something. I mean, if we're talking about hiring 800 officers over the next five, seven years, and you've got almost 2,000 retirement eligible, you're still looking at a situation over the course of the next five plus years of net losses in the amount of frontline personnel. 
I mean, how do, you, how do you clear the bottleneck in Aylmer? How do you how do you clear this up? Well, I know that there, like we, we we've talked uh, a lot about trying to come up with different ways on how uh, OPC should be, like maybe just alert a uh, virtual aspect so people can get through faster or or anything or even like there's been talk about us. Uh, you know, starting our own academy and, and doing that, but uh, that all comes at a cost too. And, and you, you need people to, to staff that in order to, for our candidates to get better training, right? Right. Dave, I, I understand that recruiting efforts uh, for OPP officers and police officers in general has been put into high gear. And I was wondering if you could comment on those efforts. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I know that, uh, a few months ago, we got together with other police associations in Ontario, and uh, we had a, like a, an information session. It was like a brainstorming session on what we can do uh, to come up with st strategic initiatives to recruit candidates and qualified candidates. Because uh, we all know the the like the the violence against police and, and things have deterred people from wanting to do this job. I, I know that. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, my my stepson, who's seven years old, uh, you know, he's always talking about becoming a cop. And then he, he looked at his mom and said, I'd like to be a cop, but, you know, they get shot now. So that, that's very uh, disheartening, you know, and if we can get people wanting to be police officers at a young age and and keep it positive, I think that that'll help our our recruitment process in, in the future. I know that uh, about a month and a half ago, I met with um, recruitment and, and from the OPP and figured out that the three main bottlenecks right now for getting people through because they were having a hard time getting the, filling the classes at 135 and the bottlenecks were, were the psych tests, the backgrounds and the medicals. Now, uh, after our meeting with the CCT, uh, this week, um, they, they've come up with uh, with a plan to, to fix all those. And when we had that talk, uh, that meeting with recruitment, um, there was only 68 people that they were expecting to go into the next class. And, and with uh, fixing those those three bottlenecks, the, the number went up to 94. So that, that's a, you know, we got an extra almost 30 people in a class within a month and a half. So hopefully that uh, the the initiatives that they put in in place is gonna is gonna put people through a lot faster. You know, it, it'd be nice to to have a a nice big pool of candidates like we used to have. And and you know, another good thing that came out of of our talks with the CCT, there was a myth going on about well, for the longest time, I know that uh, you know you'd refer someone a candidate and they they wouldn't get on. Um, out of the 94 recruits in the next class, 47 of them uh, were employee referrals. So that's, you know, it's, we're all recruiters and, and anything we all can do to help with recruitment uh, is always going to be a good thing. No, that is good because we do hear that over here from time to time from members saying that they're referring and uh, that they weren't uh, getting a look. But it's good to hear that those referrals are going through. And we will put uh, OPP recruitment information in the show notes for the listeners there. Uh, they are always hiring. They use the hashtag always hiring on social media. So look that up on Insta or Twitter. And it's opp.ca slash careers for anybody out there interested in exploring that. 
Dave, as uh, stated earlier, uh, this all sounds like bad news, um, but there are a number of OPP officers uh, and members, uh, civilians uh, and officers who are diligently serving and protecting each and every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. What is your message to the members out there on the front lines? Well, unfortunately, this uh, crisis is, is going to take time to overcome. Uh, just my, my advice is just keep working. Um, I know there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Just uh, we're, we're doing our best to, to have more people recruited and, and put through so that you're not running short. You know, I, I have the utmost respect and for your dedication and your hard work and sacrifices. Uh, these unprecedented times, and, and thank you for doing what you do day in and day out. Dave, before we let you go, I want to uh, have you participate in a little semi-reoccurring segment on the podcast here called Three Wishes. If you could wave your magic wand, what would your three wishes for change be for the OPP? I only get three. You only uh, get three. <laughs> that, that can be tough. Um, really, uh, when it comes to staffing, uh, you know that's that's what this is about. So I, I think that uh, one of the things would would definitely be to go back to the platoon sizes that we had uh, back in the day. Like it just seemed like seems like all, all the platoon sizes across the province have, have diminished since like in the last twenty years. I know that for myself even you know when i started working we'd have eight members per platoon now they're five or four so like i I don't know exactly how that happened but it'd be nice to to have that back that would be one thing the next thing would obviously be to be fully staffed to full complement both uniform and civilian uh have enough uh you know cars tablets uniforms whatever the case is like have enough um, infrastructure there for for all those members uh, and last uh, this this is uh, you know we'll probably never get but uh, I'd love to see uh, staffing minimums in our collective agreement thanks for that Dave uh, you're just telling it like it is and uh, I think uh, the membership will appreciate hearing uh, here in this podcast so we appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with us today on such an important topic yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, you know we can uh, we can talk on and on about staffing as we we can do you know we can go hours on end on on, on staffing issues and, and uh, the way our, our members are feeling and how they're stressed out and overworked and stuff. But uh, hopefully, it's all going to change soon. Dave, thanks again. Any final thoughts before we let you go? Yeah, like I know it's hard uh, for for members uh, running like. You know working short and uh there's more paperwork now than there ever was and you know all they need is another form from the opp to fill when they're running short so uh i, I really appreciate everyone that uh, fills the forms in and if uh it helps with change right so if, if anybody wants to um fill in a form please send them in uh it's like i said earlier it's it's the only uh data we get in our fight to to have more staffing and, and 
so that it's a safer place for you guys to work. And, and last but not least, I want to wish uh, all the members and their families a safe and happy holiday season and all the best in 2023. And the same to you, Josh and Scott. Dave Dubay is a director with the OPP Association. Dave, thanks for doing this. We're going to have to have you back on at some point in the near future to talk about any updates that come up with the staffing portfolio. And uh, best wishes to you and yours over the holiday season. Thank you. And that is our episode for this week. New episode drops next Friday, and all episodes are always available on our blog at oppa.ca slash media. If you like what you hear, please use the subscribe button on your podcast platform so you never miss an episode. For Scott Mills, I'm Josh Jutris, and from everyone here at the OPP Association, thanks for listening, and be safe. <laughs>